Welcome to the Word on Wednesday podcast for March 10. My name is John Mason. It's great you could join us. In his book, God and Stephen Hawking, Dr. John Lennox notes a current objection to miracles that says, Now we know the laws of nature. Miracles are impossible. To which Dr. Lennox responds, From a theistic perspective, the laws of nature predict what is bound to happen if God does not intervene. To argue that the laws of nature make it impossible for us to believe in the existence of God and the likelihood of His intervention in the universe is plainly false. God's people understand that the laws of nature are the observable regularities that God has built into the universe. However, such laws don't prevent God from intervening if He chooses. When He does, we are able to identify the irregularity and speak of it as a miracle. I'll talk more about this shortly. But first, let me remind you that the Word on Wednesday is a ministry of the Anglican Connection, which is not just for Anglicans. Everyone is welcome. Furthermore, if you missed the recent online conference, for $30 registration, you can enjoy post-conference access to all the conference in your own time until May 31. You can register at www.anglicanconnection.com And now, a reading from the Bible. A reading from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In his book, God and Stephen Hawking, Dr. John Lennox notes a current objection to miracles that says, Now we know the laws of nature. Miracles are impossible. To which Dr. Lennox responds, From a theistic perspective, the laws of nature predict what is bound to happen if God does not intervene. 
To argue that the laws of nature make it impossible for us to believe in the existence of God and the likelihood of his intervention in the universe is plainly false. God's people understand that the laws of nature are the observable regularities that God the Creator has built into the universe. However, such laws don't prevent God from intervening if he chooses. When he does, we're able to identify the irregularity and speak of it as a miracle. In John chapter 2, we read of a wedding that Jesus and his close followers attended in Cana in Galilee. A critical situation had arisen. The wine had run out. And Mary, Jesus' mother, who seems to have been involved with the preparation for the wedding, had turned to him and asked him to do something. Jesus' response might seem harsh to us. Woman, what concern is that to you and to me, he said. Woman was Jesus' usual form of address, as we find when he spoke to the woman at the well, and Mary Magdalene in the garden after his resurrection. It was also the address he used when he spoke to his mother from the cross, putting her in the care of John, the beloved disciple. On no occasion did this imply harshness or indifference. Furthermore, his response, What concern is that to you and to me? is a Hebrew idiom. While literally it means, What to me and thee? we need to consider the context where we find it. So on the lips of the evil possessed in Mark chapter 1, it means, What have we in common with you? Here, as one commentator observes, the probable meaning is, Your concern and mine are not the same. Jesus was saying to Mary that he was no longer just her son, but was now entering his time in public ministry as the Son of God incarnate, the Messiah. His work would now involve taking up the primary purpose of his coming. His response to Mary's, they have no wine, would be much deeper and more significant than generously alleviating the pressing need at a wedding. In verse 6, John tells us, Now standing there were six stone water jars, for the Jewish rites of purification. As John's Gospel was written in the first instance for a Jewish readership, it's fair to say that John, who uses symbolism throughout his writing, wants us to understand the purpose of the water. It was for outward and ceremonial cleansing of people who were physically and spiritually unclean. Jesus directed the servants to draw from the water jars and take the beverage to the steward, the wedding master of ceremonies, for tasting. Recognising the fine quality of the wine, he spoke with the bridegroom, complimenting him for leaving the best wine, contrary to custom, until the last. We're left in no doubt about the quality and superabundance of Jesus' action. He had provided for a bridegroom in his dilemma, saving him from potential legal action, for a bridegroom was responsible for the cost of the wedding. Jesus also provided a generous wedding gift. The new couple could have sold the balance of the wine to start their new home. 
Now, some critics have responded to Jesus' action in turning some more than 120 and 130 gallons of water into wine as a purposeless luxury miracle. It said this miracle is unlike every other supernatural act of Jesus, for on every other occasion he showed John's concern for those in physical need. What then do we glean from this remarkable event? In verse 11 we read, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. His disciples believed in him. None of Jesus' actions were simply designed to assuage human suffering. Yes, they do show God's compassion, but they also pointed to Jesus' uniqueness as God's Messiah. In John's Gospel, they are spoken of as signs, revealing the glory of Jesus. Furthermore, because this sign is not followed up with John's usual spiritual discourse, we need to look more carefully at the detail of the narrative. As we observed, in verse 6, John had indicated that the water in the six stone jars was used for the Jewish rites of purification. Given the direction of John's narrative to the hour when Jesus said he would be glorified in his crucifixion, we can say that the water, now turned into wine, symbolized the day when Jesus would generously provide the perfect, once and for all time, spiritual cleansing for the sins of an unclean humanity through his shed blood on the cross. Significantly, John the Gospel writer tells us that the disciples believed in, or literally, on him. They didn't simply believe that he was the Messiah. They put their whole trust in him. Jesus turning the water into wine was the first occasion John records when Jesus chose to intervene and act outside the laws of nature. It was the first of the signs authenticating Jesus as the Word of God, the Son of God, incarnate. So let us pray. Lord Christ, eternal Word and light of the Father's glory, send your light and your truth, so that we may both know and proclaim your Word of life to the glory of God the Father. For you now live and reign, God, for all eternity. Amen.
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. A prayer for this week. Almighty God, we confess that we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, so that we may be defended from all adversities that may happen to the body, and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A prayer for peace. God of the nations, whose kingdom rules over all, have mercy on our broken and divided world. Shed abroad your peace in the hearts of all people, and banish from them the spirit that makes for conflict, so that all races and people may learn to live as members of one family and in obedience to your laws. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Sovereign Lord God, direct with your wisdom and power the leaders of the nations. Lord, give them such wisdom and understanding that they may restrain wickedness and vice and uphold justice and truth through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O God, the creator and preserver of all humankind, we humbly pray for all who are in any kind of trouble, sorrow, sickness, anxiety, or need. We particularly pray for those who lost loved ones through COVID-19. We thank you that a vaccine has now been produced and pray that it will be made available both speedily and fairly so that all peoples and nations may benefit. Father, we also continue to pray for people who suffer because of injustice, poverty, and powerlessness. Lord, enable us to share with others the material things that they need. Most of all, in your great mercy, bring comfort and hope through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who died and rose to save us, and give us meaning and hope forever. We ask all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now let's pray for God's grace, love, and fellowship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. People involved in today's podcast are John Mason, speaker and writer, Andrew Pearson, the Dean and Senior Minister of the Cathedral Church of the Advent, Birmingham, Alabama, and Catherine Jacob, a member of the Cathedral Ministry Team. The introductory and concluding music is from the Cathedral under the direction of Dr. Frederick Tirdu and Zachary Hicks. Psalm 121 is sung by the Chamber Choir of St Andrew's Cathedral, Sydney, under the direction of Ross Cobb. Prayers are drawn from an Australian Prayer Book 1978, and the Bible reading is from the New Revised Standard Version. Please let us know if you have a question or a comment about this podcast. It would be great to hear from you. And remember, you can still register for post-conference access at www.anglicanconnection.com.